if, like me, you love following racing all around the world, I've got something you need to check out. Right now, the fall racing calendar in Britain is reaching a crescendo with a flurry of Group 1 races, while the world's most prestigious turf yearling sales continue at Tattersall's this week. It's the perfect time of year to be exploring and getting involved in British racing. But where to start? Well, over this period, Great British Racing International is bringing you a showcase of the best of British racing and bloodstock, as told by leading figures from across the industry. On www.investinthebest.co.uk and across GBRI's social media platforms, you will find stories of world-leading horses trained in Britain, of the country's foremost breeding operations, of the global footprint of horses sold at Britain's sales, of the welfare standards that are upheld for the horse population in Britain, and much, much more. You can also find out about and contact Great British Racing International, who can assist you in taking your first steps into buying, owning, racing, and breeding in Britain. I've seen what they do and how they can make a difference up close, and believe me, if you're curious at all about racing in Britain, you want to get in touch with them. To find out more and follow the stories, visit investinthebest.co.uk, brought to you by Great British Racing International. Hello and welcome to the In The Money Players podcast. This is our show for Tuesday, October 11th. I'm your host, Peter Thomas Fornital, back with you, not in the Brooklyn Bunker, but in the area we're going to call the London Lair up here in Tottenham, not too far. You can basically throw a rock from here to where the Giants had their big upset victory on Sunday. I was in attendance. That was pretty fun. Let's not talk about any other sports that happened over the weekend as a New York sports fan. We don't need to, we don't need to do that. But the, the one of the main sporting events of the weekend, as far as I'm concerned, uh, our guest today, our first of three guests participated in, we're going to introduce, we're going to talk about that, and then we're going to get to the 10 horses that we're the most looking forward to running at this year's Breeders' Cup. We bring her in, her in now. She's back home. She she might be a little sore, but but she looks none the worse for wear from running the uh, running the marathon this weekend. She is Jessica Paquette. Jessica, how are things? Things are great. I had a great weekend in Chicago. What a cool city. And the coolest thing about being a race tracker and working in racing is wherever you go, you have friends. I went to Hawthorne, saw Hawthorne Gym, and Larry Ravelli took me out for deep deep dish pizza to carb load before the marathon. And it was everything I wanted it to be. And the marathon experience, it was your first one. You looked fantastic doing it. How did it feel? It was magnificent. Uh, You know, I'm never going to break any speed records, but to come back a year and a week from breaking my back, and to feel pretty good throughout the marathon. I mean, like no one feels good running 26 miles, but it was it was wonderful. That's so cool. I love it. Well, we'll talk about some some other inspiring athletes of the equine variety coming up right now. So the gimmick of this show, I'm stealing from. Oh my gosh, it's a it's a well it's a well worn trope on YouTube, and I know this because my daughter watches these videos all the time. You know, it's like the top 10 Nickelodeon theme songs or the top 10 moments in Disney channel history or whatever it happens to be. We're going to do the top 10 horses we're most looking forward to at this year's Breeders' Cup. We're going to kick off with you, Jessica. Who's your number five? My number five is Red Knight. I know I'm a little bit of a homer uh, and he had such an impressive win at Colonial Downs coming in off of a big layoff. Um, You know, 
I got in some arguments with some folks on the Twitter about it, but I thought it was a textbook perfect ride from Horatio Caramanos, and I will die on that hill. But you love him on the turf, don't you? Love him on the turf. Um, but Red Knight, it just keeps getting better. I think sharper and sharper coming in off of the benches. Win at Kentucky Downs was very impressive. Like he he is kind of up against it. These waters are a little deep, but he deserves a shot against the big boys. I hear and and, and big girl in the case and of this big race. girl, really yeah. Right. I mean, Warlike Goddess is going to take a big piece of the market. It's hard to evaluate this race in any full detail without knowing which of these Europeans are going to come over. But from this far out, this is a horse that's not on a lot of people's radar. If you can bet internationally, you're looking at about 25 to 1. Would you be happy with that? I would be thrilled with that. I don't know if he's quite good enough to win, but I think he's good enough to at least ruin your exotics. <laughs> Let's talk about another uh, another warrior type horse. My uh, fifth, m- number five on this countdown list of uh, last year's champion from the Breeders' Cup, Philly and Mare Sprint, who looked uh, pretty good recently. Cece back in action, and I just I love the pattern. It looks a lot like what we saw from her going into last year's event. You know, there were a lot of people who thought uh, Gamine couldn't lose. She did not uh, have her best day at the Breeders' Cup. CC got the money. I think there's a chance she could do it. Uh, I think there's a chance she could do it once again in this spot. Is she is she on your radar at all for that race? So Philly sprinters are probably my the division that just excites me the least for whatever reason. But CC is a hard knocking, honest, honest mare. Easy to root for her. Yeah, and what a great story it would be. I mean, some of the there, there, there's a few horses in here. One in particular that we'll get to later. Um, that, that, that they could make movies about. I feel like CeCe isn't too far out of that uh, category at this point for her for her longevity and some of the efforts she's put in. Let's move on to our, uh, our fourth pick in the countdown as we move things along. I'll dive in and do mine first here. I really like this Colt Loggins, um, and it's not just for the musical hunch play. You know, I'm not going to start singing Danger Zone. Don't worry. But Please I do. do. I, <laughs> if he wins, you have to. Okay, I, I will give you that. If we okay. if we can cash on Loggins on uh, on at the Breeders' Cup, I will I will do my best. Kenny Loggins. I asked I asked Brad Cox if in fact he was named for the singer, and he he just punted that question to the moon, and he 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 took the fifth. So I, I don't know, but I'm, I mean you got there's not that many Loggins. You got to figure. But this horse was so good the other day, so game. You know, knocked around a bit down the line. I wouldn't have been surprised if he'd been put up after all the argy-bargy in the lane. But the real reason I like him is, is not so much the, the trip and the stretch, but, but the pace dynamics. I mean, this was a race where the other speed finishes nowhere, and uh, the winner gets a perfect trip. Uh, Forte, who's a very good horse. I mean, you got group group one, grade one form. So either con- that when I sit here, sometimes I get the names wrong. I, the other day I had to stop myself when I, when I almost called it an NFL match. Anyway, uh, <laughs> give the group one bit. But, yeah, grade one winner in Forte. But Loggins, to me, this is a horse that I just – I think – I think the best is yet to come. I think Cave Rock is going to come in here to the juvenile, very, very dressed up. I'm in serious contender, but I don't know. The, the vibes I'm getting, I'm very interested in seeing what Loggins is going to do uh, at the Breeders' Cup. Who do you want to nominate as your number four selection here? I'm going to go with Epicenter here. I think that this is a horse who's just a little bit overlooked. The, t- the conversation in the classic is all flight line versus life is good. And Epicenter has kind of passed every test with flying colors. I think he's come into his own in the way these Steve Asmussen horses really do the second half of the year. His good ones get better in the fall. I, I think there are very few trainers that can help that can have a horse hold their condition throughout their three-year-old year and help them mature and develop like he does. And Epicenter is coming into this race really, really good. 
I think it's becoming a specialty of Asmussen, actually, yeah. to, to get not just to get him good, but to keep him good over an extended And that's period. harder. I, I mean, I feel like that is that is harder. It's easy or not easy or anyone could do it. But, you know, to get them to peak and to have that one big performance and then never be heard from again or, you know, then see their form really take a nosedive. That happens quite a bit. And his horses do. They're able to withstand some pretty solid campaigns. We'll talk about the classic a little bit more in the show. I'll, I'll, I'll tip my hand maybe with that statement as to who a horse I'll be talking about later is. Meanwhile, let's go to our third picks in this countdown and we'll keep it with you, Jessica. G. Laurie is probably one of my strongest opinions on the card. Should she go? I loved her maiden win at Colonial Downs. It was the single most impressive two-year-old performance I saw in person all summer. The turn of foot this filly showed was remarkable. And in the Talma, she really had everything go against her. I thought she ran very professionally despite all of that. And it looks like the kind of race where a horse gets something out of it. I also thought in her maiden win, she was a little bit green. Um, she was spooky. She was lucky coming back into the winner's circle. The steeplechase hurdles were still set up on the other side of the turf course. And she was like, <laughs> what is meet. that monster? Yeah. Yeah. So she, this is a horse that still hasn't kind of really been there, done that yet. And I think she's just going to get better with a little bit of a gut check. Interesting. I mean, I was a big fan of her going, going into the last race. Did, did you have a specific excuse? I just think she didn't really have the best trip. I mean, I thought everything kind of went against her. All things considered, I thought she ran okay enough to warrant that next up. We'll move on with my third pick, who is Highfield Princess, who's a horse that I think many people in Europe would have been calling the likely favorite for the turf sprint based on the amazing story this year coming out of, you know, some very average looking races on the all win weather and now a three-time group one winner. See, I said it correctly there. Three-time group one winner sprinting. But I feel like with what Golden Pal did the other day and as good as he's been in Kentucky, the market's going to tilt in his direction. And Highfield Princess, who's just an amazing rags to riches story in, in her own right, um, has a chance to actually be a halfway decent price in this in this race. What do you think in general of this year's uh, turf uh, turf sprint? Do you think I'm in in? Uh, am I crazy trying to beat Golden Pal? I think you. I, I don't think anyone's crazy for trying. I think there may be some disappointed folks. I mean, he does have home track advantage, and this is a horse that just shows up. I mean, I've tried to beat him more times than I can count, and he proves me wrong mostly every time. He'll probably I'll probably try again. He'll probably do it again. But I like where you're thinking. Yeah, I mean, Glass Slippers, you know, the first Euro winner of this race, this form makes hers look fairly average. And you could make the argument going in on figures and form that, that she was the fastest. I, there may be a little bit of a hidden advantage if it's, if it's you know, not Golden Pals Day. And, and there's always the exacta to, to cover in. And, and I might take that approach as well. Let's move on to our second picks here, Jessica, and I'll, I'll throw the ball right back in your court. So this is an interesting one to me. So society, I thought, ran just a dynamite race in the Cotillion on Pennsylvania Derby Day. We do have a tendency to maybe get a little stuck on a horse when they prove us right one time. And she did. She was my big opinion on the card. Uh, I thought the Lucas Philly was a little over the top. And I had this, you know, when you have like a really strong opinion and you're just digging your heels in on it. And it all worked out remarkably exactly how I thought it would. So society has a soft spot in my heart for that alone. But I think this is the case of this sort of Asmussen horse getting good this second half of the year. To me, she reminded me a lot of Clarière, who certainly doesn't embarrass herself and turned out to have a really solid four-year-old season as well. And I think society, best is still to come for her. Though that's it, really like facing Malathat and Nest, I mean, 
good luck. But <laughs> I I love I love her pattern of development. Um, the last two races have been so huge. If I had one quibble, I do think, and you were there watching much closer than me, but I do think that racetrack and the way it was playing may have flattered her just a little bit coming to this test. But at the same time, if she's going to be some big price and people aren't going to be taking the form literally anyway because they're falling over themselves to bet Nest and my next horse, who we'll talk about in a second, I, I definitely think you can uh, you know, get, get some value here potentially just the same. Uh, is that a concern of yours at all as somebody who was there watching very closely on Pennsylvania Derby Day? Am I am I exaggerating the idea that she might no. have been flattered? No, there? not at all. I think it was a brilliant ride um, by Flo to take advantage of a track that was playing exactly to his Philly strengths. Um, but that said, she still had to do the heavy lifting and do the work. And she finished so strongly and so well. I'm willing to give her a little bit of a chance here. But again, those the two big girls look very formidable. And to me, they're kind of like a one in one A together because they remind me so much of each other. Nest is right. like a little Malathat who might be better, but maybe not. Malathat's last race was, I think, her most impressive yet. I love her. I, and that talking about a good ride uh, on Malathat, he, he did a fantastic job, did John Velasquez. I think that the market, looking at international markets, is so ready to crown Nest the best. And I'm just not sure. That, that that's the right thing for this market to do. I think, yeah, at, at the very least, they should be one and one A. But if anything, I would still make Malathon the, 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 the one that I would be more interested in. The, the, the tremendous affinity for the Keeneland surface. And yeah, maybe theoretically slower coming out of the last race, but that's not taking into account the, the slow pace and everything that was going on there. And then you just throw in the fact, and I'll trust your opinion on this much more than mine as somebody who actually rides horses and, and just has more, you know, institutional knowledge about what good looking workouts are. But, you know, Malathot and Nest work together and generally the works I've seen, I've always thought Malathot was going a little bit the better or maybe not always, but more often than not going the better of the two. I think Malathot could be another one of these runners who's actually underrated. And I, and I feel like she's the one that, you know, is, is wearing the belt in this relationship, you know? So here's a, wack, a wacky theory that I kind of apply to handicapping or thinking about fillies and mares racing. There are, I think, some female horses. They are mares from the moment they hit the ground. Like they are, they're just the big bodied, they have an attitude. It's sort of an intangible thing. And then there are some horses that no matter how old they get, they always kind of look like a filly to me. They always look a little young, a little girlish, a little immature. Malathat is a mare. She is a she has sort of a boss mare attitude. I was at the um, one of her races at Saratoga last summer and she walked into the paddock. And, you know, those are the kind of horses that have a different air to them. Um, for me, like uh, we're going to use Rachel Alexander and Zenyatta for an example. Rachel, always a filly. There was always something a little feminine about her and a little light and a, um, take nothing away from an amazing career. Zenyatta was a mare. <laughs> as tough as they come, gigantic yeah. and just incredible. There's like physicality in to some of them. I like I in my mind, like Beholder was a mayor when she was three. Yeah. Yeah. I I, I mean I've never heard that articulated it's, like this that. This is my this, this is kind of like my little deranged horse person brain going. <laughs> I love it. I absolutely <laughs> love it. All right. Before we do our number ones, 
we're going to do our honorable mentions. This is something else I'm stealing from Perrin's uh, Disney and Nickelodeon videos. They always they make you wait. You're paying her for this. <laughs> oh, believe me, I'll she'll be well compensated in squishmallows <laughs> if you know what those are. But anyway, <laughs> we'll do the honorable mentions, and then I talked before about the idea of the horse that would make a movie. I think of all the horses at the Breeders' Cup this year that would make a movie, your honorable mention would make the best movie. Do you have some sympathy for that point of view? Tyler's Tribe, to me, is an example that great horses can come from anywhere. And uh, this horse really hammers home the importance of state-bred breeding programs in these smaller markets. Uh, they're important to the agricultural economy. They're important to the health of the sport. And everyone deserves a chance on the big day. And I admire them taking a swing. I hope you, I mean, I, you have to root for this horse if you're a fan of horse racing, a fan of the underdog. And he deserves a chance off of how impressive he's been. And how about the rider? I mean, I think that's an incredible story that the public is gonna is gonna get to. We, you know, a female rider, a twenty year old apprentice. So that's that's not something you see every day at the Breeders' Cup. I hope she has ice in her veins because I'm sure you know when that crowd starts cheering when they walk onto the track, that is going to be a moment. <laughs> it's definitely gonna be it's definitely gonna be exciting. I was guessing that you would have made this your your number one pick, knowing your affinity for state bred breeding programs and and the underdog in general. I am a sucker for them. Um, but no, I do have a uh, one truly strong opinion. If I'm wagering, it's going to be a single later in the card. Are we getting into it or do you have your... Well, 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 I, well I've got my honorable mention. Okay. I do want to name check, uh, officially name check Kylie Jordan as well. My other runner is, my honorable mention other runner is going to be Platinum Queen in the Juvenile Turf Sprint. But before I talk about her for a minute, with Tyler's Tribe, still uncertain which race he's going to be going in, which one would you prefer? Would you prefer to see him in the juvenile or do you think the juvenile turf sprint might make, might make more sense? So that's a, that's such a tough question. Um, and the trainer, you know, he knows his horse better than anybody. And there's a pro and a con to either you go in the juvenile, you're going to have a couple of, you know, Bob Baffert buzzsaws to run up against and some really formidable horses from some of the top barns in the country. The turf sprint, the juvenile turf sprint does lend itself to be a little bit more wide open. However, he's unproven on the turf, so we'll see what he thinks of it if he gets to work him over it. But you just have to trust that, um, and I think you do see this in a smaller barn. They know their horses so well because they're the one, you know, it's, they don't have 70 horses in their shed row. Should he go in the juvenile turf sprint? Going to have to face the Platinum Queen, who's already a Group 1 winner against, uh, against Older from, uh, from the race at Longchamp the other day. I'm excited to just see what she does. Now, we've seen this before where we've had uh, two-year-olds who have form against older coming into this race, and then they haven't necessarily performed that well. I think the Platinum Queen could be the exception, though. In any case, I love the international storyline, and and I'm very excited to see how she does. She didn't quite crack my top five, but I'm glad to get to name check her. Let's move on to our top picks, Jessica, and we'll start with you. So Modern Games will try to officially win a Breeders' Cup race this year. Don't rub it in. Oh, bad memories. That was such a, I mean, I benefited from that. Um, I had tis the law kind of every which way. So that was one of those rare instances where I'd rather be lucky than good. But Modern Games has certainly proved that that race was not a fluke performance. He is as brilliant a runner as you'll come. And in Charlie Appleby, we trust. Um, I, I his win at Woodbine was one of the single most impressive races I think I've seen all year. Yeah, incredible. And it came back so well on speed figures. There's talk that he may run at Champions Day 
which, you know, I have mixed feelings about. It'd be fun to see him, but I'm concerned about getting that extra race in when it seemed, I don't like audibles, you know, it seemed like the plan all along had just been to go Breeders' Cup. Would that bother you at all if he does happen to run this weekend? Uh, Charlie Appleby will forget more about horses than I will ever know in my entire life. So if he thinks the horse is ready for a race, needs a race, can handle some more globe trotting, cool, fine. He'll still be my single should he be in the Breeders' Cup starting game. Good stuff. My number one pick, The this would probably be the consensus number one pick to this question of people. I can't wait to see what Flightline does. I mean, what a story this is going to be. Is he really going to be able to back up that performance from the last day and justify some of the historic comparisons that have been made about him. Look, in terms of betting, I think it's very likely he will be a focal point for me, but in terms of who I'm most wanting to see run, he's number one with a bullet for me. I mean, I think this has the potential, I mean, one way or the other, just from a story point of view, this is the race I'm going to be on, uh, on pins and needles getting ready to watch. Now, obviously knowing some of the horses that you're thinking about betting, you don't think he's as invincible as I do. Maybe is that fair to say? No horse is invincible. That's why we run the races. Um, as a racing fan, I'm excited to see what he's made of. I'm excited to get a chance to see him in person. And maybe he does have the, another otherworldly performance and we all go, you know, where were you when Flightline won the Breeders' Cup Classic in 2022? Maybe. Um, I'm also a little bit of a Grinch for these horses with these abbreviated campaigns. Uh, for me, that's not what excites me as a racing fan. I would rather have a you know, mid-level claimer run every couple of weeks that I can become a true fan of. But uh, he is brilliant. He is, he may be a once in a lifetime kind of horse and we'll see in the Breeders' Cup. It's going to be fun. It's going to be a great weekend. We're going to have you, Jessica, as part of our coverage leading up to it. And I should have said this before, but if you're listening to this version, we, we this is a, going to be a YouTube special that we do. We're going to have a pl plenty of extra YouTube content. We encourage people to rate, review, and subscribe on YouTube. And if you want more content, we're going to have, you know, this very show is going to continue in its audio form. If you're a YouTube person who also listens to podcasts, make sure to check us out wherever you get your podcasts in the money media. We appreciate it. We appreciate you, Jessica, and we'll talk to you soon. Thank you. And we will be back right after this. Fixed Odds Betting, powered by BetMakers, is back and in effect in New Jersey, and the early returns are fantastic, with 70% of the winners paying more on Fixed Odds than they are on the tote. Fixed Odds wagering is now available throughout the state. This is an exciting new way to bet that really puts the power to get value in your hands. The odds you bet are the odds you get. You're going to be hearing a lot more about Fixed Odds betting opportunities across the In The Money Media Network. Next up on the show, we bring in another regular guest, a recapper extraordinaire to look back at this wildly productive and busy weekend of Breeders' Cup prep races. We won't be able to touch on them all. There's simply not enough time in the show. We'll focus on the grade one action, and we'll get his thoughts. Uh, you know him from many places, and he's got some news to share with us. You read him over at InTheMoneyPodcast.com. He's been doing the morning line for Keeneland this meet. He's Nick Tamaro. Nick, what's going on? Glad to be with you, Pete. It was a big weekend, no doubt about it. Always good to recap and Head us towards uh, the first weekend in November. Yeah, I'm getting ready, man. It's going to be exciting. So much grade one stuff. We had some grade one action on a Friday in the form of the Alcibiades. Why don't we start there? Tell me your, your thoughts on this one and, and how 
relevant of a prep you think this is going to be for the Breeders' Cup Juvenile Phillies? You know, I think there's always going to be a little affinity for the local uh, the local runners that have had success. And I was actually on with our mutual friend Steve Bick yesterday, and he was asking me if uh, I might make an adjustment in the in the morning line for the Breeders' Cup for horses who have done well at Keeneland. And, and I told him I, I didn't really consider it, but it probably was, was worth discussing just a tad because, uh, you know, obviously Essential Quality won both the Breeders' Futurity and the, the Breeders' Cup Juvenile in 2020. And, uh, but Vquist had not run it at uh, Keeneland prior in the Alcibiades. Wonder Wheel is a horse who really deserves to be a short price in the Breeders' Cup because she's good. She's not uh, a horse really that's it's a, she hasn't run poorly yet. And I think the the Alcibiades was probably her best effort to date. You know, obviously the concern in watching the replay and, and looking at it from a critical perspective is that it did look like she was been pretty pretty much in badly need of the wire. Uh, badly in need of the wire, I should say, as they were getting close to the to the finish. That being said, she did a lot of the heavy lifting. I don't think there's anything you can take away from her for the performance. It was a, a win that makes her one of the choices, no question about it. She is now a filly with multiple stakes wins, multiple, a grade one placing and a grade one win. I'm trying to pull up her buyer figure. It was an 81. 81, okay. So, you know, I think that puts her in line with this crop. It's not been a, a particularly uh, fast crop by any means. We've not seen a lot of 80, 90 plus buyer speed figures. So she looks like one of the choices to me. Maybe to her favor is the fact that time form anyway, did have that half mile and six furlongs coated red. So maybe it was less of a case of, oh, she barely got home at a mile and a 16th, than oh, maybe she didn't run completely efficiently in that spot. I wanted to get your thought on Zygira and her effort and which Breeders' Cup race you think she might be getting into, and will she definitely qualify, do you think, if they decide to go to the turf? You know, my inclination, Pete, is that they're pretty much committing themselves to the juvenile fillies. Um, that, that you wouldn't really run in the, in the Alcibiades unless you were serious about her being a dirt horse. And then the fact that she ran like a totally credible race really, to me, makes it seem like it's, it's somewhat obvious that she's supposed to be in the juvenile Phillies. So I think that's where they'll, they'll land. Um, I will admit that I have some access to advanced probables, and she is listed currently in the juvenile Phillies. Um, she's also listening to Juvenile Philly Sturf, so there's not not a whole lot you can take away from there. But I believe her third place finish, uh, which would give her two points, that's going to put her ahead of the game. Um, actually, it would give her four points in Juvenile Phillies. That's going to put her ahead of the game for, for a lot of horses. And right now there are um, about nine or ten runners ahead of her. So she's guaranteed to get in the Juvenile Phillies. I think she shouldn't have much of a problem getting in the Juvenile Phillies turf, and they'll have to make that decision. You know, it's an interesting question because I don't think any runner in the Juvenile Phillies turf division has really stamped themselves somebody that you want to fear by any means. Obviously, Comanche Country is a, a multiple stakes winner since coming to America, and Pleasant Passage won the the prep in New York. But uh, it'll be an interesting question, and I think one thing, it's a good problem to have for Phil Bauer and, and Ron Rigney because uh, they obviously have a very talented filly. Absolutely, no doubt about it. Let's move on to some of the Saturday action. We'll go right into the Coolmore Turf, a race that uh, on paper heading in definitely looked like one of the more competitive and, and interesting of the entire weekend. What did you think of this? You know, this was a really good race on paper, and it ended up playing out as a really good race on the racetrack. And it, it really boiled down to a, an incredible ride 
by Rad Ortiz Jr. on Annapolis to help him get the win. And you, you do have to kind of admire Annapolis, right? He's a horse that now has run uh, his race every single time as a three-year-old. And I think the connections deserve a, a really just a heap of credit for being very smart with this horse. They took the right chances. They took their medicine when it turned out some of them didn't work. And, and what I mean by that mainly is they they realized after the Saratoga Derby that this is a horse who probably wants to go somewhere around a mile. And what they've been rewarded with since then are now a grade three win and a grade one win. So good uh, good work on their part. And with all that said, you know, you fear that with a horse like Modern Games, um, and, and I see the news just as of this morning that he might still run on Saturday uh, and might try both. With a horse like him looming out there, it does feel as if some of the American runners are really going to have to up their game. But um, it's also worth noting that this is a horse that's getting better. He's uh, improved basically with every start. And he has a very tractable running style. He can be on the lead if if the pace is moderate, and he can also sit comfortably just off of it. So a lot of credit to Annapolis and his connections, and it's nice to see him getting better uh, really with each passing start. When you're looking at this group of USA turf horses, I completely agree. It feels like as a group they have something to find. But if you're going to take one in a group that has something to find, but what about the three-year-old who still you know, logically has that extra room for improvement late in the season? Jessica and I talked briefly at the top of the show in that in our opening segment about modern games and and if he runs she didn't bother her she had an in Appleby we trust attitude that if even if he runs on Saturday and, and you know runs well enough to proceed to the Breeders' Cup she's still all about him for this race I'm a little more skeptical just because it feels like and maybe it wasn't an audible maybe this was a plan in the background all the time it just wasn't terribly well reported or whatever but. For me, for modern games to like feel nailed on in this race, I want him to not run on Saturday and proceed. But of course, as somebody who's going to be there Saturday for Champions Day, would love to see him run in the QE2. So some mixed emotions there. What are your feelings as a as a horse player? Does it change how you look at modern games if he runs on Saturday? I mean, the only thing I would caution people about with regards to Appleby runners is that there has been a little difference between... Look, I mean, Appleby's been incredible in America over the last couple of years. North America especially, his horses at Woodbine have been a little bit better there than anywhere else. And and I'm looking at Walton Street and Albar um, as two of the biggest examples. So they might just be a little bit better up there um, than they are down here. And of course, I'm, I sound a little ridiculous because I'm talking about a guy who won three Breeders' Cup races last year as well. <laughs> but I think I think what I'm trying to get at is I would prefer he not run this week as well. Um, I'd like for him to go into, he's had a busy run, right? I mean, he came to Canada, went back home. Now he's going to potentially run again. And then he's going to come back and run three weeks later with a ship in and a brief quarantine. That's a lot, right? I mean, that's a lot for a horse to do. And so I, 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 I think he's a horse of tremendous quality and I want him to, to really have every opportunity to put forth his best. So I'd like to see them go in a little bit more conservative route. I always love with the way modern racehorses are trained when the plan is stuck to and the target is circled several races out and everything goes according to plan to get there. Now, again, I mean, I get the idea that Appleby knows his horse and he's not going to do something that compromises the chances of such an important race. And if something, if there's some reason he's going to back up coming out of Saturday, that he just wouldn't run. I get that idea. But yeah, I think you and I are on the same page. 
Let's talk about the first lady. It's the next on the rundown, hopping a couple of races earlier. In Italian, gets the job done in wire-to-wire fashion, scores at 5-2 to two under Joel Rosario. Regal Glory uh, looked like she was going to make a race of it. I suppose she did, but can only get within a length in the end. How do you separate these two going forward? You know, I think they'll separate themselves because they're going to end up in different Breeders' Cup races. And, and I think the plan within Italian is going to be to, to try and wire the Philly and Mare turf. Um, whereas I believe Regal Glory will go to the mile. And um, and I don't, I don't know if she'll quite be good enough to contend in there. Right, look, Regal Glory's last two races have been have been fine, but they've just been a little underwhelming. And I think it's because she was so good in the just a game and, and she looked so sharp. Um, and, and I wonder if maybe she's been taken a little bit too far off the pace. I wonder if she wants to be a little bit more engaged early because she just hasn't quite had that same kind of potent finish. And I, and I almost wonder if they go to the Breeders' Cup mile, if it wouldn't be tremendously beneficial for her to be ridden very forwardly. And, and I feel like her best races at Keeneland especially have been when she's been up there uh, early. So it would obviously stand to, to depend on who's in there pace-wise. Um, but take nothing away from an Italian, right? I mean, I thought an Italian was kind of a joke in the spring. You know, she was winning these races in wire-to-wire fashion with one easy pace after another. And I think after the Honey Fox, I, I just sort of shook my head. And then she came back and was beaten by her stablemate, Speak of the Devil. We all assumed she was a rabbit in the Just a Game and Diana both. And it turns out that even if she was, what she's turned into is a really fast filly that can set strong fractions and stay on with it. So she's a, there, there really should be no shortchanging her whatsoever. And, you know, for all intents and purposes, technical analysis had a perfect trip stalking her and she just completely spit her out at the quarter pole. So in yeah, Italian is a very interesting contender for the Philly and Mare turf and, and she'll be part of a three-horse entry for not not an entry in terms of betting purposes, but she'll be one of three for Peter Brandt that all uh, not so much Rugier, but she and and Virginia Joy, Virginia Joy is yeah. the one I'm trying to think of, the one who just wired the the uh, Flower Bowl. So you think she's a serious contender in Italian uh, for the for the to potentially wire them in the Philly and Mare turf. 110%. I mean, I understand. I and, and look, this is me having done no work on Euros. I have been told by people whose opinions I trust and Pat Cummings that Nashua <laughs> is, is going to be really tough. So, <laughs> um, so I would, you know, I want to see where, where things fall with her. You'd never say a horse isn't a serious contender because one particularly, you know, impressive Euro was coming over. So I think you're definitely answering that question in the, in the affirmative. Yeah. It's only a mile three sixteenths this year too. So, I mean, it's a much more, it's a, uh, it's a, it's a shorter trip. For sure. It's sharper. And that could lead to potentially the right horse with the right amount of quality being able to get the job done wire to wire. You could see, you know, um, you, you could see somebody just running out of room potentially against speed of that quality at that distance in a way that would be considerably harder if they were going farther at most tracks under most circumstances. Let's talk about race nine, the breeders futurity grade one action going a mile and a 16th and uh, Forte gets the job done. Second, big win in a row, but uh, the horse that ran second, Loggins, is the one that I felt like was the clear one to take out of the race. What did you think of this one? Yeah, boy, it's it's tough not to come out of here thinking that Loggins really did the that did all the dirty work and, and still, you know, still was was almost there to get the win. 
Um, it was a kind of a scrum for, for the miners behind those two. They peeled off almost seven lengths clear of everybody else. I'll tell you, I was surprised by the betting in here just a tad. And, and obviously my line ended up looking like it was, uh, it was very inaccurate given that I made Forte the favorite on the morning line. And really, I expected him to be the favorite with, with the grade one win already and the 92 buyer speed figure last time. And he never came close to favoritism, not in the multis, not in the intra race. It was logins right from the start. And, um, and then Loggins ran the best race. There was a, a objection filed by Florent Giroux that the uh, stewards dismissed for some interference in the short stretch. They look like the two best juvenile prospects not named Cave Rock. I don't think that's a much of a groundbreaking opinion. It seems pretty obvious. The chart is kind of funny. You know, Loggins just buried everybody speed-wise. The closest speed horse to get any piece of it was Newgate, who finished fifth. And Loggins was seven lengths ahead of him. So it's, it's just an amazing... Amazing performance in that regard. Um, you know the the one the one four uh, one four five early runners ended up tenth, twelfth, and thirteenth. So I mean, it's just the classic pace collapse. And uh, and Loggins was the only one who st- stuck around. I I wonder if uh, you know if they both go. Obviously, Forte and Loggins are. You know, I don't see why they wouldn't go. And you would imagine that they would both be the the biggest threats to Cave Rock, who we'll talk about in just a bit. But take nothing away from this; it was a it was a tremendous race from both. We're switching tracks, so let's switch out to San Anita and go straight to Cave Rock, who runs an impressive race in the American Faro, one twenty three on the time form scale, which falls pretty much in line with the buyer as well, which was in the of the triple digit nature. I don't know what it is about this horse, as good as he's been. When I hear the trainer, Bob Baffert, talk about him, when I watch him, I'm not like – I feel like I'm not as overwhelmed as I as I should be. Like I really want to – my inclination is to try to upset him with, with Loggins going forward with that race over the track. And, and Cave Rock is surely going to be bet very, very hard off the, off the figure advantage. <laughs> I'll ask you a funny question. Why am I underrating Cave Rock? You know, it's funny. He is a horse that is earning – He's earning speed figures that, you know, early to mid-season three-year-olds usually get. And and so you wonder if there's supposed to be some concern about him being just a little bit ahead of the curve and everybody not quite being up to that that level. But the thing is he's done it three times now. And when you've when you've done it that many times, it sort of becomes like, okay, you know, once could be an accident, twice could be a coincidence. But three times he's made it clear he's a very very good horse. The knock on 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 Cave Rock is that uh, this was a totally pace dominated race on a day where there was a lot of benefit to being forwardly placed. It was also a funny track where we had a number of blowout wins by and and big improvement speed figure wise by horses that had never run at that kind of level before. I mean, take a look at the second race. Apprehend wins by eight and a half lengths as the longest shot on the board and ends up getting a, a 107 buyer speed figure with a previous high of 91. I understand it was first time route. Then in the fourth race, you have uh, Tim Yakteen's Blessed Touch, who wires the field at five to one, gets a 90 off a debut 55. So it, it was a track that obviously pace horses were definitely helped by by the profile of the surface. You know, one of the other problems is that we're getting five to six turf races on a daily basis at Santa Anita right now. So we're just not getting much of a of a dirt profile to look at. That being said, I mean, Cave Rock has handled everything with great ease. The, the you know potential knock on him would be what happens if he gets into an, an early pace battle with a horse like Loggins or um, 
you know, potentially somebody else who wants to go on a, uh, maybe employ some enterprising tactics. I fear he's going to scare off a lot of runners and it's really not going to be a very big field because uh, there aren't a lot of prospects otherwise. And the, the uh, prep races, including the champagne, which was run on a sloppy track, had some kind of results that, that don't lend themselves to multiple horses coming back. So this might just be a fait accompli for cave rock to win this race and, and win the eclipse uh, rather easily. But, uh, because it looks like, I mean, some of his main competition outside of Loggins and Forte is really National Treasure. And after Saturday, how could you envision National Treasure beating Cave Rock, right? It just, it does, it's it's unfathomable at this point. So he may just end up winning by, not by default, but because nobody's at that level. I mean, that's certainly what the figures say. And, and as regular listeners know, that's the lens at which I'm looking through the world. But there's, and, and I'm not saying, oh, I'm going to beat him. He, you know, he's, he's going to be the most likely winner. He just feels like a horse. There might be some value in taking on. But I think the smaller the field, the tougher that scenario gets. Though, you know, Loggins does have the fact that he he has his own speed and can at least try to keep him honest potentially if, it's, if it doesn't end up being a race where you know, there's going to be others to challenge for the lead. Are you, so you, we haven't talked about blazing sevens on air yet. You think that was more a function of, uh, of pace than the, or, or, and, or the slop than anything else. It doesn't sound like you're thinking of him as too much of a serious contender. No, it, it's hard for me to envision him as a serious contender, given the way he ran in the hopeful. Um, and, and, you know, I want to see him on a fast track, obviously, against top-notch competition, but I have some reservations at this point. He's also he's also slow in comparison to the best of his generation. That's for sure. I mean, he was well, he was in the, in the eighties with his figure, if I'm remembering right, from the other week. That's that's definitely got uh, that's got plenty to find. Um, though, what what was the? I'm trying to remember what was the figure. I'll look it up right now. The Loggins figure. Um, trying to figure out what that came back. You don't have that in front of you, do you? The pile is 91. That's even better than, you know, when you factor it with that with the trip, I'm I'm definitely thinking he's the interesting one. I do want to take another long look at Blazing Seven, so just in case he continues to develop. But there are some there are certainly some question marks about uh, about the last race just because he was helped by the pace and and you know, the, we we want to see we want to see what he's capable of on a on a on a fast track as well. Let's move on to should we talk about – let's quickly talk about the juvenile Phillies prep from uh, from Santa Anita on Saturday as well, the the companion race that's uh, that's the grade two, the chandelier, where – and tell me no lies won, the daughter of Arrogate. But the speed figure of 75 probably leaves something uh, – well, certainly leaves something to be desired for a horse you're expecting to go to the Breeders' Cup juvenile Phillies with, with a big chance um, – not to take too much away from her, but it just, it seemed like it maybe wasn't the strongest group in the chandelier we've ever seen. Yeah. I mean, you hate to underrate or really poo poo a a dual grade one winner, especially at this stage of their respective careers. But um, she has won two grade ones that were, Oh, and actually she's not a dual grade one winner. The chandeliers are grade two, but anyway, a multiple graded stake winner who, you know, doesn't exactly get your blood pumping. Right. I mean, she was not, particularly impressive it was kind of a throw your hands in the air type of race at the eighth pole and and some of the horses that looked like they were the you know the main two in there underperformed um i mean it's not justique's fault that everybody and their dog massively overrated her debut and expected something better and 
you know, and the other thing is that, and, and the people out there who are Justique fans, I need to let you know, this was about as good a pace setup as she was going to get, right? The one, two, three finishers were five, six, seven at the half mile pole. So the pace was really, really there for her to, for her to do it. And it was a speed favoring track as well. So she just is not, you know, she's probably a one run sprinter. She might be a horse who'll get better with a little bit of experience as well. So um, yeah, you know, and what, what you cannot take away from and tell me no lies is that she is a grade one and grade two winner. And she was eight to one in this race, kind of a distant fourth choice. So it's a little funny in that regard, but you know, even with the likes of chocolate gelato, even wonder wheel and chop chop and horses like that, it feels like, and tell me no lies is going to have to run a lot better to win. Yeah. We can quickly touch on, uh, we can quickly touch on the, the rest of those chocolate gelato certainly looks like one who's going to be among the favorites for the race, if not the out and out, favorite what, what did you think what did you think of her last weekend I thought she was very good you know she's a horse that there was some, a lot of fanfare going into her debut um and and she delivered in her second start in her debut she was a little a little not so much green but just kind of not all the way put together and I think having a little bit of experience really helped and and I think now she's living up to those expectations so she goes in as one of the one of the choices and and one of a number of Todd Pletcher horses that look like they're pretty pretty well meant for this weekend it's always tricky when you get that last round of preps when there is slop involved you know she wasn't as fast the last day chocolate gelato but you know it's she didn't do really anything wrong and the the figure the figure just you know leaves a little something to be desired about about a horse that i want to talk about like a certainty who's going to be the who's going to be the favorite but yeah, we're we're cherry picking a few races from uh, from the weekend prior because we didn't. Nick, you were on a boat last weekend, so we didn't we didn't have you on and get, have a chance to get your, your your thoughts on those. But we appreciate you uh, rolling with the punches with us. No question about it. Anything for you, Pete? <laughs> Let's go back. Actually, uh, we didn't talk about the spinster, and that's certainly you know more grade one action that I think uh, that I think is is worth. Uh, is worth talking about. What were your thoughts on this? You know, I will, and, and I, I've drawn the ire of some people on social media in discussing Malathod with regards to one, to her stablemate Nest. I was not a huge Malathod fan as a three-year-old. I thought she was good. You know, I thought she was um, a little bit kind of ahead of some of her her generation and she was winning races for that reason i never loved that you kind of had to scrub on her a lot and and she just you know kind of a bicycle horse and i thought she was a little overrated coming out of the of the races going into the breeders cup i thought she ran well in the distaff she spent a little bit too much time inside didn't love her comeback race in 2022 i thought it was slow and it was against suspect competition I'll tell you what, since the shoe V, these two races she's run in the personal ends and, and the spinster, she to me is clearly the horse to beat in the distaff. And I understand that there's a lot of love out there for Nest, but uh, Malathot has faced considerably better horses throughout her career, seems to even still be getting better late in her four-year-old season, loves Keeneland. So there's just so much going for her there that I have a hard time really ignoring all of it. And Latruska, obviously, you know, I, I think she's uh, she's gotten a little long in the tooth. She's probably ready for for uh, mommy duty, and um, and probably will be very good at that. Um, but she's, you know, so so it's not as if she beat the vintage Latruska. But even some of the other horses in that race are 
are perfectly good enough and played hard and army wife to get some respect as well. So uh, I, I was, I, I like Malathod. I think Malathod is going to be very tough to handle in the distaff. And, you know, with regards to Malathod, you want to talk about Clarier who's beaten her twice this year. And we've not seen Clarier since the personal ends and where she put in a really disappointing effort. And we never really got an explanation as far as what might've happened. So one of the more interesting things to handle handicapping wise for Breeders' Cup weekend is going to be what to do with Clarier because obviously the the good Clarier that we saw on uh, in the Shoe V and in the Ogden Phipps is easily good enough to win the distaff. I mean, I remember quite logically having conversations ahead of set the Saratoga race saying, well, form-wise, there's really not a whole lot of reasons to pick Malathot to beat Clarier. Clarier just seems better now. And that was a, a completely reasonable opinion that now and and you know do you how much do you really want to get off that <clears throat> off of that one race when one's going to be eight or ten to one and one's going to be five to two or three to one meaning obviously Malathot's going to catch a lot more money than Clarier so I think that's an, she's an interesting one to pay attention to based on how she trains heading into things I'm with you and the market is not with us Nick and maybe that's a good thing I mean you're seeing three to two prices shorter than three to two internationally on nest for the distaff and you're seeing three to one, lots of three to one for Malathot. And I have it the exact opposite. I mean, they've they've worked together a bunch, and when you when you've seen them work together, it seems like more often than not. I made this point earlier in the show, so apologies for repeating myself. But Malathot's the one going the better, and I just think the market. I mean, look, Nest is awesome, but I don't think a coronation is in order when you're dealing with a three-year-old filly against some tough elders, including her stablemate who outworks her and has a more impressive resume in aggregate just for having been around longer. Like what are we missing here? I totally agree. And, and I mean, I, I will admit that I can probably have some influence on the market, at least where it starts. Um, I, I will not be making Nest three to two and Malathot three to one. There's just nothing form wise that backs up that opinion at all. Um, and, and I think that everybody, everybody is getting way too caught up in the margins in Nest's races and, um, and and those kind of things, and not not really taking enough of a look at who she's facing, who she's beating, et cetera, et cetera. So um, I, I'm not saying that I will make Malathot the favorite, but it's going to be close, right? I mean, we're talking like two to one, five to two type of range. And I do think that if we get into a situation where Todd Pletcher is training the two of them together, especially if it's at Keeneland, whether it might be Keeneland or Churchill, and if we see Malathot outwork Nest, then, then Malathot, to me, would have to be made the favorite. Another key point you made is Malathot's affinity for the racetrack, uh, which I meant I had in my notes to say when I was talking about it earlier and forgot to, forgot to mention. But it is interesting. I mean, on buyers alone, if you were only looking at buyers, you'd say Nest just ran a 101 in the bell name. Late season three-year-old, getting better. Malathot's run these two huge races. She's four. She could be getting better, as Nick says, but I think a lot of people are going to assume, okay, we've seen the, the, we, we know how good she, she's good, and we know how good she is, but she just ran a 98 in the spinster, and I think maybe that's where some of the, some of the nest enthusiasm is coming from. I think a lot more of the public enthusiasm is probably coming from those margins of victory, which in the big picture of life in a test like this facing elders for the first time, I don't really care how much you beat three-year-olds by i do care about the figures and i know that makes her a serious contender but i don't know i think there's a chance if um you know the, the, if these international prices are reflected in the markets on breeders cup day i know who i'm betting and i'm actually tempted to walk 
down the high street here to one of the many uh, shops on the way from where I sit now to Tottenham. And I'm pretty sure most of them will have these markets. Maybe I should just uh, maybe I should just bet Malathot now. Huh? I mean, would you be would you be okay? And if we play buy sell hold uh, for a second, I mean, three to one. Would you be happy enough with that to just take take the money and run? Yeah, I mean, I would probably be happy to do that. Um, you know, looking at who is going to be in there that we're not talking about that could take a little bit of money. Search results is one that that comes up. Obviously, Clarier is going to have to get some amount of money. I'm just trying to get a, a read on where Malathot may land price-wise, but you say three to one, and I immediately think to myself, there's no way she's going to be three to one. So it feels like it would be the right kind of value, right? I mean, Blue Stripe is... Society, society who Jess was excited about. She'll, another one who'll have to take money. 16 to one internationally, Blue Stripe, and uh, right now society between six to one and seven to one basically yeah that's probably right right search results is another one who's really deserving of uh of uh some consideration you know if she was around seven or eight that'd be a very fair price i would say i would i would make search results a shorter price than society so yeah i think three to one on malathot works just fine i'd buy let's go let's uh let's talk about another one who i mean extremely impressive but um there's been so much hype on. I'm wondering if there's any chance she can be any kind of uh, price in the Breeders' Cup turf. The way that uh, the, the 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 talk about Warlike Goddess and boy, she was impressive. She did she did what you know she did what her biggest fans thought she was capable of doing. Uh, I guess before we look ahead to the Breeders' Cup, let's just give the Hirsch itself a moment. This was one on paper where J.K. and I talked about it last week and. I, I was stubborn, and, and it, it, for, it, it worked to my advantage. I mean, I picked Warlike Goddess, and I said, I understand coming into this on figures, she doesn't have some huge edge on these and is going to be bet very hard. But off the ride, off my suspicions that, you know, I mean, obviously Gufo, major contender heading in, but not exactly a horse who's delivered every single time. I just decided to be stubborn and bet Warlike Goddess anyway. And and but and, and she certainly she exceeded expectations. But but by how much? How surprised were you to, to, to see her win in that imperious of a fashion, if at all? No, not surprised. I thought she was. Uh, in fact, I think I said to you about four weeks ago, the best older distance turf horse in the country is Warlike Goddess. Um, so I, I expected her to win. I thought she was better than all of them on paper. And she got a great ride from Jose Lascano and, and really just, you know, sort of made them all look like they are, in my opinion. So she made them. Made them look pretty ordinary. Um, now that being said, it's probably a good time to to bail going into the Breeders' Cup because now she's going to be a a deflated price, if you will, and she's going to face better horses. So, with due respect to the likes of Gufo and some of the other ones she ran against in there, you know they're not real Breeders' Cup contenders. And and Gufo was campaigned from from July on as if they knew that they had to make hay while the sun was shining. And, and so that's why they ran him as frequently as they did mainly because he is not going to be a breeder's cup turf horse. So, um, you know, now you're going to have to take a, you know, a low three and a half, four to one on more like goddess, depending on the, the depth of the field that, that is assembled with regards to Europeans. And, you know, that just doesn't, that's not appealing. That's a, that's a sell for me. Yeah. I'm with you. And I love her. And I think she'll probably finish ahead of the other Americans. And that might still not put her in the money. Just, I mean, obviously it all depends on, on 
who shows up, right? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Any other thoughts coming out of this race? I mean, I liked, well, I think we got to praise the ride. As much time as I spent criticizing the Rosario ride last time, I mean, this was just fantastic. Just in, in attacking position, ready to win every step of the way. Moved at the right time, moved decisively. I mean, it was it was wonderful to see. Yeah, and, and you know, for everybody who's not quite aware of it, um, Jose Lascano is really, really good. And and probably is, is, you know, that first, is at the top of the heap beyond the guys who you hear most frequently, you know, beyond Rosario, Ortiz, Ortiz, Pratt. Um, Jose Lascano is a better rider than Jose Ortiz also. It's, it's really not even close, um, in my opinion. But he just doesn't, he doesn't really get all the opportunities. And so I was glad to see him get the opportunity. The thing that Warlike Goddess had done this year that she really hadn't done last year that I think Lascano took advantage of is that she is not some pokey one-run closer. Right. She has the tactical speed to stay close and and her getting that kind of trip. If you you hold it up next to a horse like Gufo, you'll see that she was so much more capable of staying in a forward position where he wasn't. And he got tired and ended up finishing. I think he finished last. And, you know, she powered on with it. So it was largely a pace dominated race. The the. You know, one, two, three finishers were three, one, two, most of the way around there. But when he called on her, she was there for him. So it was a, it was a gr- very good ride. And, and she, you know, poor thing. She was deserving of one after what happened at Saratoga. That was as t- on tilt as I've been at the racetrack in quite some time. <laughs> Let's put it that way. Uh, and I'll say this. I agree. When you look at the chart, it looks like a merry-go-round. But time form has this, uh, has two of the three, um, middle fractions listed as red. So it might just be that those were the horses that ran on the day as opposed to some flattered front-running effort. One last horse, Nick, we have to talk about is Golden Pal, who, boy, he looked like the old Golden Pal uh, visually and on the clock this time around. And for someone like me who, who tried to beat him, I feel like I ended up with some serious egg on the face. A 106 on the buyer speed figure scale. How do you explain the Golden Pal at this point in his career? You know, he's he just seems to be, in my opinion, he's always been a little bit better in Kentucky than anywhere else. And, and so I think, that, I think that there's always going to be, you have to upgrade his chances a little bit for that reason, pretty much every time. So he's going to be tough in the Breeders' Cup. I mean, I see no reason why he won't. I would imagine that he'll be uh, on the lead. And depending on Highfield Princess and anybody else who wants to to try and run at him late, he looks like he'll be very, very tough. You know, I have no, no, uh, I, I'm not planning at this point on making a big stand against him. But uh, he's a horse that that I do think. At his very best, which we saw, I think, in April in the Shaker Town, he looks like he'll be too much for anybody. He's got that blinding early speed, that's for sure. I do think Highfield Princess is good enough to give him a race, but, man, if he shows up looking like he did the other day, it is going to be tough. I'm, I'm probably going to pick Highfield Princess in my wagering. I certainly am going to have to have some Golden Pal contingencies, I think. Nick, great stuff. We're going to have you on plenty between now and the Breeders' Cup. Just want to thank you for coming on, and uh, we'll be talking soon. Sounds great, my friend. Safe travels home. Talk soon. Today's show also brought to you by our friends at TaylorMade. TaylorMade Partnerships provides an unmatched entry experience into both the racing and breeding side of the thoroughbred industry. Now you can be part of a top-level racing and breeding operation with all the rewards and less risk and cost. 
Medallion Racing has enjoyed great success over the years with 66% of their starters running in graded stakes and 25% in grade ones. Unreal numbers. Last year, Medallion was fortunate enough to have an impressive four Breeders' Cup starters. Similarly, on the Bloodstock side, Bloodstock Investments has discovered great value on the breeding side of the game, buying and selling such standouts as Improbable, Bast, Cutting Humor, and Flame Away, among many others. Join them and experience a thrill with TaylorMade, your family. To learn more, check out TaylorMadePartnerships.com. We close out the show today with one of our regular guests. We check in with her from time to time, and we know her around here as the first lady of the In the Money Players podcast. She was certainly our first sponsor. She is from the Thoroughbred Retirement Foundation, Kim Weir. Kim, how are things? Happy October, Pete. I'm going to go ahead and tell y'all it's my birthday month, so I think it's a great <laughs> great time of year. <laughs> Scorpio? Does that mean you're a Scorpio? I'm a Scorpio. I am indeed. We wear. <laughs> I'm married to one. I'm married oh, to one. Yep. They're, they make your life better in so many ways. <laughs> that is 100% my, my official response. On the, no, that is absolutely true, is what I meant to say. We have a lot of ground to cover here with you, Kim, during this birthday month. But before we look forward, let's look back a little bit. You know, we talk about the TRF week in, week out on this show. So I always like folks to know that we are making a difference and positive things are happening, whether that's the fun we had back at the auction in August, uh, the silent auction at the barbecue at the barn. Um, but I know there's been a lot of really exciting things happening. And and one I want to lead off with is I love this new model you've come up with working with racing partnerships. Tell us about that a little bit. Oh my gosh, it is so much fun for me, um, and so thank you. Uh, this this model, and I do, I use a model as the, as the way I talk about it too. It's it's providing a a really cool experience. I, I hope that's my goal to make it cool, fun uh, experience for racing partnership partners. Um, the, to connect them with the horses. Let's let's be clear. That's what uh, it's, we're all about. That that's that's the whole crux of this. Is so to give partners the chance to to really literally get up close and personal with these beautiful animals, these magical creatures. Uh, but to do that in a way that's not just cool and fun, but let's let's be clear, I'm always in the role of the teacher here, the educator, the sort of let's tell their story and talk about thoroughbred aftercare. And so the best way, um, we've been doing this now for a couple years, and it's really picking up steam, is these private events um, that we're hosting at farms in the Saratoga area. Uh, we have two two great farms that have opened their doors and said, "Sure, bring bring your folks on out and let them let them touch and feel and and kiss the noses of our horses and, and educate them a little bit too." While there will always be some sort of food and drink, to be clear, um, Pete, these are parties. <laughs> Um, but anyway, we just did one. Um, we've, we've done this with the Ra- Rainbows and Racing um, Stables for the last few years. Since I arrived, we started doing one with Bob Scavetta and his awesome, awesome partners. We've done one a year with uh, the Morley Barn. This year, though, we added um, one with our friends at America's Pastime Stables, folks that you know well, our dear friends, Jason and Brian. Um, they wanted to do one. And so we did this uh, actually after the summer. It was one of the ill-fated rained every Tuesday. We had planned to do it all summer long. Um, I did have some rain this summer. I will confess it was a it was a part it was a prote- antagonist in my story this summer was the rain. Um, but anyway, we sure enough we pulled it off at the end of September, and we called this one the uh, APS and League of Their Own um, Sunset at the Farm. So that was our little catchy phrase, and we did this um, at a farm called Two Lions Farm, and we invited all the partners. Um, 
had a little cheese and wine. And then they actually not only got to see this beautiful farm at sunset, and it, we did actually get a sunset, um, but the farm, uh, David and Mary, who own it, put together a little demonstration of a retired racehorse who's in the process of being retrained right now to be a hunter jumper. And so we stood in the middle of a cross-country uh, field, like full of jumps with the sun setting and this awesome woman, um, Marsha Kulak and her beautiful, the beautiful horse Templar looked us in the eye and told the partners what this horse was going through, what the journey looked like from the racetrack to the show ring. And we stood out there and watched her go over jumps while she talked to us. It was like super experiential learning, even for, for all of us, it was super fun. And, um, and then we went back to the barn and we had cheese and wine and we hung out with the horses, which includes several retired racehorses that are being ridden by friends of ours like Adam Newman and Maddie Hogan. And it was just tons of fun. And let's just finish it with the fundraiser in me. Uh, we finished with a great big check presentation. We did that at Bailey's last week, actually, um, just for logistics. And we they presented us with a great big check that will feed the horses for a year. So Amazing. it was so much fun. That was that the idea is, you know, when you come on here, ideas just start to, to percolate. Obviously, there's other racing partnerships, and we'll talk about one in a minute, who can get involved in this kind of thing. But it makes me think of if we should do one for listeners, maybe, next oh. summer, something, uh, yeah. something along these lines. So, I mean, yeah. it's hard to explain. I mean, I've had the pleasure of, of seeing these type of events up close and, of course, visiting the, the Second Chances program. And there's something that, that happens to you when you see this good work in action. It's great to hear about it on the airwaves and all that, but it, when you yeah. actually see the work in progress and the difference this can make um, for horses and the people that care for them, um, whether we're talking about the Second Chances program or just people involved in the aftercare industry, it's it's really moving. And I, I think it's, I'll tell you this, if we do something like this next summer, it'll be in the top list of things a lot of people do that summer, because it really is a striking and interesting experience and, and one I'm glad you're sharing with us today. Talk a little bit about the one that you have coming up or the one you're in the process of. of yes. Working. Well, we love that. We love that, um, you know, um, what is it? Imitation is the highest form of flattery. So we want to share this gift. We want people to be inspired and think, oh, I want to do one of those. And sure enough, we have already had a very uh, clear statement of intent from our friends that you know well, Pete, at Adelphi Racing. So uh, Matt and I talked about this all summer long, and we, we actually contemplated doing it this month around the New York sale that's just next Monday. But, um, but instead, we've just put a pin in it and said, we're absolutely doing one. Um, in fact, Adelphi's already made a generous donation to secure their spot, which the horses say thank you, Matt and Adelphi Racing. Um, and we will do one. And we're going to sort of play with the model, whether we do the sunset or we've also do a brunch model. Um, and we just are 100% on track. And it's just a matter of picking a date. So Pete, you will, you will be at one of these um, and we will plan it around you for sure. Love that. I'll come up for, I'll absolutely come up and, and you know, that might be an interesting opportunity to invite in. Obviously, it'll be limited, the amount of people we can have, but maybe we can invite in a, a listener or two who want to make a donation. We'll figure that out as we get closer to it. But yeah, I mean, Matt and the team at Adelphi, I've talked about them. I, you know, I'm, 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 we talk about them in the ads all the time, but I mean, I couldn't be more sincere when I talk about the amazing experience I've had with that crew. Just such nice people who approach things the right way and, and very sharp. And the more time I spend with them, the better as far as I'm concerned. So yeah, let's plan that a day that I can come up if that's still possible. A hundred percent. Now it'll be fun. And the fun thing I tell all the partnerships and I've told Matt is like the thing about these barns that, that we do up here, we're here all year long. <laughs> and the horses, I like to show off the fact that the funny thing about that whole rain with APS was I'm like, well, the horses will literally still be available even if it's raining, but it was nice to do it on a pretty day. <laughs> 
<laughs> I wanted to talk about the Hay Drive. I know, Kim, this is your single largest fundraiser of the entire year. Has it started or is it about to start? What can folks do to help and what's it all about? Yes. Well, thank you. It is. It is so important. It's sort of as the leaves turn, we are putting the hay up for winter. They go hand in hand as we watch the, the pages of the calendar turn. So uh, with 450 horses in our herd, the single largest line item on the TRF budget is hay. Um, and there's a couple of close seconds and thirds in this trifecta, which are grain and the farrier fund. But hay is the big one. Um, and we could go long and deep into about the digestive system of horses and why they need to be foraging 20 hours a day. And hay is what they do that with. Um, but anyway, it is happening. And so it is probably like as we speak, um, pieces of mail are going into the mailboxes this week. So you will, if you're already a, a supporter of the TRF, be on the lookout. That'll hit your mailbox. It is rapidly followed by a, a total ad campaign in all of your industry publications from DRF and TDN and Pollock. They all push this out for us. Um, and then it'll, of course, be very, very visible on all of our social media. So the cool thing about it, I mean, it's not just important, which is why it's cool, but it is also because we are supported by an extremely important donor to the TRF, a long, long time family um, of support from the Santuli family. And they give us an extraordinary matching gift. So that they give us a gift of, they, they offer a gift of $60,000, which is to match every dollar that is given by our donors so that we can get to our target of the 120 um, by the end of the year. So that is all happening. Um, I, whether or not the link, it'll be right there on our webpage, um, but it will be there soon. And so just know if you're hearing this at any point in the future, the Hay Drive is open for donations and every dollar you give is matched, which is one of the more impactful ways to give to any charity, I will say, as you listen to causes you care about. Keep an eye out for their matching um, yeah. uh, campaigns because you really I'm, get a, get well, a lot way of back, you know, My father was a, a board member at an organization called Why Hunger, uh, mm. formerly World Hunger Year. And that was always when we would do, I volunteered for many a fundraiser around Thanksgiving when they would do the Hungerthon and mm -hmm. yeah, matching plans were always the ones that, that had that had the most impact. So that's another important aspect of the Hay Drive. trfinc.org to find more information, or maybe we'll even put up a, a, a link on our page. Sure, I'll happily do that, Pete. Absolutely. TRFinc.org slash players for that one. I want to talk to you a little bit about some of the other stuff going on. We mentioned the Second Chances program before. you got a new program coming online. I want, I want you to hear a little bit more about that. Oh gosh, this is so exciting! This is this is um, uh, this is the New York story. Uh, it's going to be the, a prelude to a lot of New York story. Pete, you and I are going to be talking about this because our 40th anniversary is coming around the bend um, in next year. But we are going to be celebrating that with the fact that we've expanded the TRF Second Chances program to a second program in New York. And this opened actually at the beginning of the year. To be clear, this has been going on. Um, we had our farm manager hired in January all kinds of work on building a barn and putting in the fencing. We did a ribbon cutting in July, but the most important milestone for all of us is when do the horses arrive? And yep. as I speak to you today, we are counting down the hours till they arrive in Attica, New York. Um, I will get to see them with my very own eyes. I'm, uh, as I drive home from um, our time together in Kentucky, I'm making a quick stop uh, in the, um, the garden destination of Attica, New York, and I will look at our horses and, um, and be able to tell the tale when we get together next about how they're doing in their new home, uh, where they've come from, who they are. I want to tell you all that stuff. But for us, it's just, it's a long time coming. It's actually 40 years coming to get this second program in, in New York. And, and it's literally happening as we speak. So it's so, so exciting for all of us. And it's taken a long, 
a long time, a lot of effort, a lot of support, a lot of leadership, a lot of patience, tenacity. I could go on and on, but just know that if you if you if you know someone at the TRF, anyone anyone involved in any way, congratulate um, all of us because it's taken a journey. I've done the least. All I do is talk about it. I've done the least amount. Of- <laughs> It's big, big stuff, big stuff for our board, for our staff and all of our farm managers. It's very exciting. It's nice to see the fruits of the labor come to to fruition. Literally, it's it's uh, it's good stuff. And another thing about the TRF that is important is this is, you know, we've been talking a lot about New York today, but it's not just a New York program. This is a bi-coastal program and you have a big anniversary coming up on uh, on the left coast. That's right. It's it's it has a coast to coast month of celebration. So uh, my home state, uh, California, we um, cut cut our ribbon on that program on um, I think it was October nineteenth of twenty nineteen, um, and here we are uh, three years later. Heidi Richards is just an absolute rock star. She's out there in the middle of kind of like godforsaken nowhere in Coalinga, California, where her horses are just changing lives left, right, and center. There are 16 guys in that program on average all the time. They get college credit. They are in a farrier training program in addition to all the regular uh, groom elite program. It's just extraordinary stuff that just sort of happens out there, like literally in the, the Central Valley of desolate Grapes of Wrath, California. And I am so proud to call Heidi Richards my colleague. And I'm very excited. And I want to t- tip uh, the hat for your listeners. We have some new, newly engaged friends of the TRF out who on the West Coast who are looking to make a visit to that program. It's not a small task to go visit that program. It's not close to anything. Um, it's four hours from nowhere. And yet we may have people going and when they go, they will be profoundly impacted. So I'm excited about the year ahead and maybe getting some more, uh, you know, sort of like put a little more oxygen on that flame out there for people to see what's happening. And and we are very hopeful about California. Generally, um, our partnership with the California Department of Corrections and Rehabilitation is a strong one. It's, you know, small but mighty. And we are we are more than a little optimistic that we'll have more than one program there, not too far down the road. So excited about California. And it kind of just sparkles brightly in the middle of nowhere. So I like to talk about it when I can. And an anniversary yeah. is that moment. No, I love that. And it, that, that is interesting to, to find it. You go to nowhere and then you drive four hours, I think. Mm-hmm. That's and you mm-hmm. might see the ghost of Tom Joad along the way. <laughs> Yes. Yeah, probably. And definitely a few abandoned oil rigs. (laughs) Before we leave, I want to talk about something that a lot of people listening are going to be in in and around Lexington for the Breeders' Cup. And this is the the ask, as it were, what we're telling people we'd like them to do. But the best part about this is we're not just asking them to give money. We're asking them to come to a party and a party that we're going to be at. So that'll, that'll make it all the more fun. Give us the details on this. Yes, absolutely. Well, you know, our herd does love to gather. Wherever we go, we like to get together just like the herd animals we support. And um, so we are indeed throwing, uh, you you and I and our, our favorite friends are hosting the TRF Breeders' Cup Party um, on November 4th, which is the Friday of Breeders' Cup. Um, it's at the Griffin Gate Marriott, which is a, a great central location. It's one of those designated Breeders' Cup hotels. And they have this really cool building called the Mansion, which is sort of like an old classic Kentucky home. Uh, And we have the run of it from uh, 6.30 to 8.30. The idea here is really, it is uh, heavy on party, light on fundraising, just to be clear. We want to gather, we want to have fun, we want to talk about horses, talk about the races. Uh, There'll be a few items uh, for some fun silent auction stuff. Maybe you'll be inspired to do a 50-50, Pete. But this is not meant to be a big, a big, Write, write the big checks. This is meant to gather everyone together and celebrate the horses, which bring us all to Lexington. Uh, I also say that because there's a really big fundraiser that night from the Thoroughbred Charities of America, TCA. And if you are thinking about going to one or the other, you know, 
try to go to both. That's my answer. But um, if, you, if you're going to go give a lot of money to TCA, please go to that party instead because they support us very generously. Um, so we'll be we'll be at the Griffin Gate. We're going to have um, it's seventy five dollars a ticket until we sell out, um, and it includes a drink and food, and we've got live music arranged through a friend. Um, and then I've understood, uh, Pete. I hear that you and Jessica have been. Uh, talking about doing a little handicapping. Is that Indeed, possible? we kicked off the show today with Jessica. And, oh, good. And it, so good. it comes right back to her and, and me. Yeah, we're going to do a little program. I don't think it'll be anything too formal, but give no. some thoughts and, and you know, put out some topics to uh, to analyze and hopefully come up with some winners for the two days of the, uh, well, for the Saturday of the Breeders' Cup, because the Friday will be in the books then. So hopefully we can be trumpeting a few of the winners we have had and looking forward to getting a few more on, on Saturday. So we'd love for people to, to come out and join us. And I think it'll be a, a, a well, yeah, I mean, I like that idea of trying to do the double parties or yes. a lot of people have plans on the Friday night, but the way we're organizing this, it's early enough. You can come by, you can say hi, and then still, if, if you got to get to a, another dinner reservation, hopefully do that. I mean, the equivalent event last year, that's what we did. We had a reservation in the books, but we came by and got to support the TRF for a minute before uh, before heading on, and we encourage people to do it, and you can go to trfinc.org slash players and buy your tickets today. I, I think it's going to be well worth attending, and you know, I always relish the chance to meet, uh, to meet listeners. I, I had a good one the other day, Kim, after the, the NFL game down the block from where I'm sitting here in Tottenham, there was a man uh, fully in full Packers regalia. So we're talking about he had the jersey, his pace was his pace, his face was painted green and yellow. He had the cheese block on his head and he, he looked for all the world like somebody from Wisconsin until I heard the accent. And he was a regular uh, viewer and listener. And it was great uh, getting to meet him. I have the photo to prove it. Maybe I'll make that the featured image of the show today. Yes, and, that's and, so cool. I love that. Oh, my and gosh. We, and, we, and, you know, you out there listening who are going to be in Lexington, who are a fan of the show, would lo- love to meet you as well. And you don't even have to paint your face. So that's that's where <laughs> That's exactly right. That's okay. Well, I feel the very same way. I mean, we get a chance to meet your, your wonderful listeners and all of our friends. You know, it is important to gather and to celebrate the connection that we all have. And, and this is the perfect event, the perfect weekend, the perfect place just to to do that, do that connection and, and uh, celebrate all that we have to be thankful for. We got to leave it there. There's no more perfect way to leave it than that sentiment, Kim. We appreciate you and your time today. We'll also thank Nick Tamaro and Jessica Paquette for coming on and chatting with us. So really always great to get an opportunity to catch up. And, and, you know, it's nice to know that the stuff we're doing is, is working, right? I mean, we, we ask people to, to give generously and they do and the results you see in all the positive developments happening with TRF. And we'll have you back on, Kim, very soon to talk about all of it. Thank you, Pete. And we will also thank our founding partners, including TRF and 10 Strike Racing. We'll give a lot of thanks as well to all of you, the listeners, for making these shows so much fun to do. This show's been a production of In The Money Media. We'll shout out some of the people who help behind the scenes, including Tyler Wisman and Eric DeCoster and James Millar. Our business manager is Drew Cotney. Our chief creative officer is Jonathan Ginchin. I'm Peter Thomas Fornatel. May you win all your photos!
just a reminder, this is the best time all year to sign up for In The Money Plus. You get our Santa Anita coverage, lots of extra stuff there, lots of extra Keeneland coverage as well. And join today, even if you just do it for one month, you'll get all of our Breeders' Cup coverage as well at 15 bucks. This is a steal, folks. And Everyone who buys it seems to be happy with it. What more can we say? It's also a great way to support the show. Another thing to consider if you like our act around here. In the moneypodcast.com slash plus. We look forward to seeing you on the other side.